Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the co-host, host of the Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know excited about our guest as we had the brothers on before, but now we have them alone to talk about this project. Isn't that true, Kim? Yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. Andy Irwin, my word. I am a big fan of yours, I have to say. You have just this very unique way of finding the greatest stories, just the deepest stories. I can only imagine Jesus Revolution, one of my favorite movies of all time. You've, you're just doing it. And I am so happy to welcome you to our show. Thank you, guys. Neil and Kim, I appreciate y'all having us on. You know, it's been an exciting um, period of time to be a person of faith in, in, in entertainment. And uh, for a long time, we were kind of the redheaded stepchild that, you know, the industry just tolerated and put up with. And then for the first time, uh, we're getting invited to kind of be able to tell our stories on the biggest stage. And um, so, you know, it's been awesome to see moments of that. Like I can only imagine uh, Jesus Revolution was my brother's film that I got to produce, uh, be a producer on. But John, that was a passion project for him. And, you know, it was a risky endeavor. And to see the audience show up and really embrace that story uh, was special. And so it's uh, lovely to get to tell stories for a living. It's 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 a privilege. Awesome. You know, and so when you thought about this project, what made you excited about this project when you first heard about, it, you know? Well, this this story is, you know, it's a true story um, of, about a, a father that his wife um, has died of an illness. And it turns out uh, uh, to be uh, something that his daughter has the same illness and needs a liver transplant. And he's fighting for his daughter's life, trying to keep his head above water. And this unlikely hero comes along. Uh, named Sharon that Hillary Swank plays in the film and fights for this family and tries to rally the community around them, led to the local church getting her airlifted out in the midst of the biggest blizzard in the history of Kentucky. And uh, it's just an amazing true story. It delivers a rush of hope, and that's a signature of any story we invest in. Uh, but it came to us from the most unlikely place, Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band, uh, had seen this story. He's not necessarily a person of faith that I understand, but he saw the story and fell in love with it and said, I want to see that made as a movie. And so he brought it to uh, a producer friend who brought it to Lionsgate. And Lionsgate was like, hey, this needs to, this is faith. It needs to go to our faith guys. So they brought it to us. We read the synopsis and found out it had to do with Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. And we said, not only do we know this story well, but the the chairman of our board is an elder at that church. We know exactly this story. We, we want to be a part of it. So it was just one that we're like, it's a rush of hope. And it's a story where the church gets to be the hero and you can't get something better than that. Wow. Ordinary Angels is the, the movie that you're talking about that is going to be released in February. And what a great story. And it's so funny that you say that about the church and the elder and whatever, because your movies uh, not just with that story, but every movie that I've read about, that I hear about the stories, there's stories of the actors that they came in a certain way and their story unfolds and stories of whoever and their story unfolds. It's like there's stories inside stories inside stories yeah. in all of the movies that you've done that I believe have all been top 10 in the box office opening weekend, right? Right. It's been it's been amazing because I think for a long time, you know, we were definitely outsiders in the industry. And then for the first time, um, uh, you know, the 
audience really flex their muscles this year with their tickets. So Jesus Revolution has a moment where it just is a special moment in time and does amazing in the box office. And then on the back of that, um, Angel Studios, their film Sound of Freedom comes out and just absolutely blows the doors wide open. And for the first time now, studios are coming to us and saying, we want to make more movies. And it's just a time where as Christians, your voice is being clearly heard. And it's just special. And we, we we try to not lose sight of the mission field of our movie sets. And so we, you know, as Christians in the entertainment industry, we specifically work with people from across the board. They don't have to be Christians to be a part of our product. And as long as we um, are the ones kind of telling the story. And so we, what we're finding is two things. People that are, they're uh, benevolent towards faith. They're not hostile towards it. And they're mainstream talent that's not afraid to do faith films now. And then the second thing is there's these Christians that are are big actors that are able to come out and say, I, this is what I believe too. So in this case, Alan Richson uh, stars in it with Hilary Swank. Alan's the star of the new uh, Reacher series on Amazon. And one of the biggest, most muscular guys I've ever met. Uh, but he's a former Marine and he has a, a YouTube channel that he preaches on. And so uh, to give him a platform to utilize his voice as a person of faith was extremely exciting. And what I'm hearing from all this is just, again, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I think it's all about community, how the churches are all going out, how everyone together are making these events when movies are not getting huge attendance anymore in, in the theaters. And somehow because of the atmosphere, the expectation, everyone's just, you have the community that wants to keep going out and see great films. Yeah, I mean, that is the case. It's, um, you know, I think uh, the industry has been a little bit freaked out because they've always, for the past 15 years, their staple has been superhero films. And superhero films was kind of what kept the industry, you know, uh, doing healthy for years. But after COVID, for whatever reason, superhero films just haven't been connecting. And uh, people are craving different kind of content. So the studios are desperately searching for a loyal fan base that will buy tickets to the theaters. And so on on the back end of that, to have Jesus Revolution Sound of Freedom make such a statement of the loyalty of this audience, that's why the studios now are coming to us and be like, how do we do more of this, more, more of these movies? So with with Kingdom, we've actually got five films coming out this year theatrically. And uh it's exciting to kind of to see the the audience really respected. Yeah, that is that is so exciting. And the films are such incredible quality. And I know you probably get that a lot because they used to be cheesy Christian films and for whatever reason, but now they're as good or better and better and better than anything else that's out there. And so I think people might be wondering, how does a kid from Alabama, I think you're from Alabama, yeah, yeah. end up sitting in the chair that you're sitting in? And I know your dad played a role in that and what, what he did for a living, but how did you get started on all of this? You know, it, it, my brother and I started when we were kids, and it was just kind of a uh, just a, a a crazy dream that we had of doing movies. You know, uh, but God kind of plants that in your heart, and you just chase it. And you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes times it doesn't. But my dad always said, "Whatever you give twenty years of your life to, you have the opportunity to be successful at." And so we just kind of paid our dues one day at a time trying our best to learn a craft that we didn't understand. And we were part of the cheese for a long time, um, you know, because there was a bunch of us Christians that were really trying 
hard to do a a craft that we didn't have a lot of training in. And so we had to learn on the job. And so there was a lot of pitfalls along the way of things that we had to just learn how to be able to do. Um, I think the exciting thing was though, is like, as you try things, you find your voice and you get the anger of what do you, what, what is it that you want to say? And so for us, it was a movie called Woodlawn. That was an Alabama story. Uh, it was not financially successful, but it was the movie we found our voice on. And we love telling underdog, redemption, true stories. That's what we do. And uh, that led to the movie I Can Only Imagine. And then that's what blew the doors off for us to be able to do it full time. And uh, But it was a, for a long time, it was just a big, expensive hobby until finally it became a career. And I'm privileged that I get to wake up every day and tell stories for a living now. Now, let's talk about you did. So a lot of people give up after, you know, not making money doing their passion projects. Right. Tell them not to give up. What would be your saying in that area? Because it would, before that ha- before the blockbuster, it was it was hey, you're just doing this as a, a, for an expensive hobby. Explain to people how they need to keep going, regardless if they feel that there's these downtimes in their in their passion, what they love to do. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's like letting go of the entitlement. Uh, um, uh, you're not guaranteed a moment to win. Uh, it has to be a passion for the story and what you what you really want to say. And I think the most powerful moment for us, for me, most powerful moment for me was when I let go of the fear of what people thought of me. And, and I stopped having this entitled, I need to be discovered. I need to be, and I just, I just had an open hand. And when we were doing the movie, I can only imagine we were coming off, you know, a, a, a loss for the last film. And we were in a pretty precarious place where we we're doing it independently it was a $7 million budget. I didn't have, um, Dennis Quaid was not a part of the film yet. Didn't have a star. And we're directing it in Oklahoma. And I came home for the first day of set and I had a panic attack. And I'm like, God, I'm either making the best movie ever or the worst. And I don't know which one it is right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and God just kind of whispered in my ear and, and it kind of impressed on me. Is like, is that okay? And I was like, well, God, if it's if it's the worst movie ever, it's it's yours. So I'm going to do my best. And there's something powerful that happens when instead of clinging to the boat, being afraid that you're going to drown, when you let go of the boat, you're like, I'm going to swim. And if I drown, I drowned. And you just stop. Do I think you make a lot of stupid decisions when it's out of self-preservation and being afraid of looking stupid. And uh, and when you let go of that and you just go for it and just say, okay, if, if this is the last movie I ever do, then then I it's been a great run. It's been a great ride. And so we kind of just had this place of abandonment, just accepting like, hey, I'm already dead, man. I'm just going to do my best. And uh, and then all of a sudden you just re- rediscover the joy of storytelling rather than the desire to make it and be discovered. And that's the most pure movie I've ever been a part of. And then God just breathed on the moment and it opens, you know, does $86 million in the box office and just established us being able to do this for the rest of our life. Um you know, that was a moment that was unexpected, but it was when you have an open hand and just kind of a full heart. Wow, great story. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so true. And and I love that movie. And I, I love your attitude. It's like divorcing yourself from the outcome, right? Like if people like it, people like it. If they don't, they don't. You're you're doing what you believe God is sending you to do. And exactly. uh that takes some guts a lot of times because you're going out on a limb. In your business, there there aren't any guarantees. 
you can have a blockbuster and then the next movie doesn't doesn't do so well. And so it's uh it's good, I guess, that you it, it's it, the 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 thing that happens is you fall in love with the purpose, the calling and the stories. And the successes don't define you and the failures don't destroy you. And uh and so like when I can only imagine came out and the opening weekend it you know does $17 million in the box office on 1700 screens. And, um, and I'm sitting in a, a, a food court at a, at a mall in Plano, Texas, the movie's playing next door at the theater. Nobody knows who I am. Everybody's walking by me. They you know, could care less, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I realize like the moment that's happening in real time. And instead of that being like a moment of validation, like I'm a big deal or, you know, I've made it or finally somebody recognized me. I didn't feel any of that. I felt gratitude. I just sat there with tears in my eyes and I said, God, how cool to be a part of a moment seeing you move. And I'm just grateful to be here. And, uh, and I think that's what replaces it. And so this, you know, I'm not in my movies. The successes don't define me and the failures don't destroy me. I just want to tell the story I'm telling as best I can do something that's honest and put it out there and release the results. All right. When does ordinary angels release? When's the release date? February 23rd. It will be everywhere. I'm so proud of this movie. Uh, it is a must watch. Uh, and then it'll be followed up uh, shortly after that by several other films we have coming out next year. It's going to be a busy year, but uh, the audience is being paid attention to as never before you vote with your movie ticket. You want to see more movies like this, see Ordinary Angels February 23rd. Well, we appreciate it, Andy. It was great stuff. And uh, wow. And uh, good luck with the rest of your uh, projects in 2024. It's going to be a great year for you, isn't it? I know it is. I can tell. I appreciate it, Neil Kim. Thank you for so much for lending your voice uh, to what we're doing and, uh, and using your platform. Well, thank you. All right. You're listening and watching the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of the Love is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? I know you're excited about your guest. Such programming. It's such a great thing what he's doing, our guest. Absolutely. Eric Goss, who is the founder and CEO of Minnow. And the things that you have done, you were in the Navy. Thank you for your service. I'm in Michigan. You graduated from U of M, I believe. And I'm green, however, instead of blue, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you get away with it today. Worked for Amazon, did amazing things at Amazon. You've done so much in your life. I have to tell you, the thing that I commend you the most for is raising three daughters, because mm -hmm. that's some tough work. Boys, way easier, I got to say. <laughs> so you're, you're married, you've got three kids, and Minnow is amazing what you're doing. And now you've got this Christmas special coming out that I can't wait to see. And so uh, welcome to the show, Pete. Yeah, Pete. well, thanks for- Welcome to the show, Eric. <laughs> well, thanks for having me here. I'm it's grateful. I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, Eric, yeah, well, it's, so it's just gotta feel great. From last time we talked, where the growth is with, with Minnow. Yes. Update yeah. the, uh, the people, the listeners and viewers. Yeah, what's interesting, so obviously our primary product, so Minnow is a, um, we're a children and media technology company. Our primary product is the Minnow Kids streaming app, but we started doing original shows last year and started just releasing them. And what we recognize is if you want to reach kids, you've got to be on YouTube. And, and we started a YouTube initiative in March of this year, just before Easter. 
And we just, I think we had a few thousand subscribers. And from that time to today, we're now over 200,000 subscribers. We're going from just a few thousand views a week to now we go over a million to a million and a half views per week. And um, about 40% of our audience is here in the U.S. 60% is outside the U.S., which is just amazing. And uh, and we, it took us six months to get to 100,000 subscribers, it took us three months to get to 200,000 subscribers. And so um, we're just continuing to see the channel scale. And really, I think the reason that is, is the quality of the content. Um, we have a award-winning children's Bible called the Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids. Um, and uh, in Phil Vischer, if you know VeggieTales, Phil Vischer, creator of VeggieTales, wrote the Bible. So it's really funny. It's unique in the marketplace because um, it's a children's Bible that kids like to read by themselves. Um, and we took that Bible and decided to do a video series. And what's amazing when you look at the market, there are all kinds of great children's Bibles, but there are no children's Bibles that actually have video series that support them. And so um, what we've seen is that those videos have just really taken off, that people are looking for high quality video to help them under their kids understand the videos. Kids want to know kind of what the Bible's about. And so we've just seen great engagement um, and just and, and it's also you know interesting to be in a world of YouTube and just to see that type of growth and to see that type of engagement um, where, you know, typically we wouldn't expect that. But what we're recognizing is, you know, again, the largest probably children's viewing platform in the world for better or for worse is YouTube. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you see kids on their devices all the time. And I you, you mentioned quality. It is so good. I love the way that you do it, that you have, you know, the the kids that are always there and a narrator kind of guy that's bringing them through, talking them through it. And the graphics are great. Like everything about it is just great, high quality. It's entertaining. And so it doesn't surprise me at all the numbers that you're at. And I'm sure you're going to just continue to grow and grow and grow. And uh, so in making it, how did you decide exactly how you were going to do it? Well, a, a couple of things that are important to, to note just about the when we founded Menno. The first is when you talk to Christian parents and you tell them that you're doing something for kids that, you know, for in children's media. Unfortunately, the expectation for most Christian parents is that it can't be good. Um, because there have been so many mediocre projects that the bar is really low and they don't expect to see quality. And what's been really unique about Menno is we have really tried to set a high bar. I learned that at the Pentagon, flying helicopters, learned that at Amazon, that we really want to set a high bar. That doesn't guarantee success, um, but it definitely means you're going to be at least good. Um, and, and it sets you up for, for greater success. And so when you look at the team that's involved, like our, our um, educational specialist that we brought in to help coach our team is an educational specialist from Sesame Street. Um, when you look at the team that's been advising their um, folks that work with, you know, have worked with Disney, have worked with PBS Kids, have worked with the Cartoon Network, Discovery Kids. And so, but, but we wanted to take that best practice, but we really wanted to make sure that we were taking a Christian worldview and that we were delivering on the value proposition of helping kids really understand the Bible. And so for each of our stories, we actually work with a team of seminarians to make sure that we're communicating those stories in 
a way that's accessible to the entire church. And so, you know, because some people who are charismatic might look at certain stories a certain way. Other people who might be Anglican or be Presbyterian or more liturgical might look at stories in a different light. And so what we wanted to do was to make sure that the Bible actually could serve the entire church and then also think about it globally. And so not just doing an animated series that can actually be used here in the U.S., but what can we do to dub that animation? And we really wanted to use the animation because the animation actually can go global really, really quickly. And what, what you're seeing with the innovations in AI and with dubbing, we actually can take our um, Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids into multiple languages to make it accessible globally. And so all of that intent kind of goes into what we did. The other thing that you mentioned is the kid narrators. Kids love to see kids. And, and so we really wanted to make sure that uh, children could be invited in. The, the children themselves ask questions um, about the story. And oftentimes kids have questions, but they're embarrassed to ask, like because they go to church. I'm supposed to know this. And so what it does is it just opens things up and goes, oh, it's actually OK to have a question about that. It's OK to be curious about that. And so there's a lot of intentionality. There's one sense where, like I've heard some people go, oh, it's just Christian cartoons for kids. Um, and, and the reality is it's really challenging to deliver high quality children's media because, you know, it, it's easy to do something educational that's boring and it's easy to do something that's really entertaining um, that isn't very educational. It's really, you know, challenging to do something that's entertaining and educational. And I feel like the team has done a great job in delivering on that value proposition. And that's great. And I think that you just are always looking to innovate. Every time I, the last time I had you on, you're talking about innovation. This time you're looking at innovation and you're looking at how you differentiate yourself. There's really no one in the marketplace. So that's another challenge, right? And think about marketing. There's really no one like you. So how do you, who is really your competitors? That's, that's important to look at when you own a company like this. Yeah, it's really challenging. And, and the children's market, like even YouTube looks at children's, uh, looks at children's content and children's channels differently. And so you have to think about how we think about working on YouTube and then how do you know one of the things we've been really blessed by is Tim Tebow has joined our board this year um, Sean Johnson East has joined our board and so we've seen real value of working with influencers and having them as our brand ambassadors to really help us build in supporting the other aspects of our uh, marketing efforts and so it's really kind of all those things working together another initiative that we put in place this year is we actually are making Minnow free to church staff um, so church staff can have free access to Menno and then making Menno free to congregations for three months to give them a chance to try it, to test it out. And so all of those programs kind of coming together are helping us get the word out. But one of the things that I wanted to do when first founded Menno is what does it mean for us to create an economy around children's content? There are a lot of people who are trying to fund a show or do kind of a program or a movie. But the reality is Christian parents want a constant stream of content. The only way to have that constant stream is to build a company to do that. And that's really what our passion is. What can we do to build an institution that can create a foundation for an economy that's always delivering high quality children's content from a biblical worldview? So interesting the way that you just said that. It's uh, what a great idea. How did you, what prompted you to move from where you were and get into this? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but but in short, I, there are a couple of kind of key moments. One is I became a Christian at the Naval Academy through an organization called the Navigators that's really great at discipleship. And so discipleship has always been a big key part of, of my walk. When, when I had a chance to work at Amazon, I um, 
I had a chance to work on a lot of the early digital media initiatives and a lot of the early corporate strategy. And what I recognized as we got out of a world of DVDs and got into a world streaming, that actually power and decision-making about content being funded was going to be concentrated, not distributed. And so everyone's like, oh, digital is actually going to make you know the long tail and there's going to be more opportunities. But when it comes to funding and distribution and you start thinking about subscriptions, actually power and decision-making becomes much more concentrated. And so as, a, as, a, as a, someone who's concerned about Christian media, we recognize that we're either going to become a marketing agency sending people to see our products where we might get pennies on the dollar for what we're investing in, or we could set up a platform where we can actually say kids are, are first-class citizens and faith is a first-class citizen. And so we recognize if we could aggregate people who cared about that, then that would actually allow us to create a business model and enough free cash flow where there are a lot of Christian creatives that are in mainstream children's media that are desperate, desirous to tell stories about Jesus, but there are no institutions that they can go to secure the funding to be able to bring those stories to life. And, and what we wanted to do was to create a company where we could actually become sort of an enabler of all that creative talent um, to bring those stories to life. And then probably the other thing was when I was at um, when I was in Seattle, I helped plant a church. Um, Seattle is not known for its Christian population. Uh, and uh, and what I recognize is probably 50 percent of the people who came to our church and joined it were new Christians. And they were young families and they were really struggling with what it meant to disciple their kids. And, you know, there are two things families do a lot of. They eat meals together and they watch media together. And, you know, if you look at the stats, the average child goes to uh, children's ministry once a month. And, and, and yet there are a lot of people who have strong faith con convictions, but those families are really struggling. What does it mean to integrate our faith into our life? Well, one of the ways to do that is to have a media presence. And, you know, our mission is what can we do to help kids and their parents experience Jesus every day? Um, and even the name Menno is based on the Greek word for abide from John 15, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll produce much fruit. And we want to help those families become fruit producers for the Lord. And so that's really kind of the heartbeat of Menno is what can we do to make it super easy for parents um, to do what they really want to do. But in many ways, culture and the society that we live in has created a lot of obstacles and a lot of friction from them following through on what they really want to do. Um, the one thing I'll mention is, you know, as parents, when we go to bed at night, there's sort of a sense of, man, we either did a good job or a bad job or we struggled with our kids or we put points on the board. And those nights where I've, where I've had a moment with my girls where I'm like, you know what, I think I was a good dad today. Um, I've heard so many parents talk about Menno helping them be a good dad or a good mom. And that's really what my heart is, is what can we do to help those parents go to bed and not feel like they've survived, but they're actually thriving in their obedience to the Lord and helping their kids know Jesus. Now, I wanted to ask the question again for the special. Tell us about that Christmas special again. Yeah, so the team had a really great idea, which is um, we've been seeing so much success on YouTube. Um, and uh, the Christmas special is really unique in the fact that we actually, um, uh, Tim Tebow actually said, he goes, man, that Laugh and Grow Bible, that's intense. You guys are talking about Abrahamic uh, uh, promises and prophecies and, and in regards to the Christmas story. And, and what we recognize is it, we've done a really good job of helping people understand both the prophecies about who Jesus is and then Jesus's life and his birth. And so as we talked about this, we thought, you know what, why don't we just make this freely available? You can see the episodes on YouTube, but we don't have like our special in a way 
where we can invite everybody in to be able to watch that Christmas special. And, uh, you know, and I know when I was growing up as a kid, the Christmas specials were a big deal. And so we just wanted to make that available, um, freely available to the church and to families globally so they could all hear the story of Jesus um, and his birth at Christmas time. Excellent. What's the, best place, uh, what's the best place people can find information on you? Eric and yeah, so they can they can check us out at gomeno.com. That's G-O-M-I-N-N-O.com. Um, they can look for us on YouTube at Menno Kids. We'll have the 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 um, the streaming event um, on December seventeenth. So they can check us check us out on YouTube. And then if they want to check out our app, they can look at our app in any of the major app stores. Just search on Menno Kids and you'll find us. Thanks, Eric. We appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Right, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And you know what? I love this guy because this guy totally saw the power of brand, becoming a, a very successful entrepreneur that's using branding to grow things and now a reality television show. Jason Waller of the BAM fam. How are you, Jason? And I cannot wait to talk about your entrepreneurial journey and where you are today. Thanks for stopping by. No, thanks for having me on the show. Super excited. Big fan. We we're talking about some of the guests you had on. So I'm honored to be on here and, and tell my story. Uh, you, your, number, your, your guests are interesting as well. We'll kind of get to that another time. Maybe you have to have a part two. I'll have to reach out to you, your ma- amazing publicist and Carol Van Stone and go ahead and do that. But let's talk about Jason entrepreneurship because I was part of an interview that's not aired yet. And it will be where I post with Marisa Jones interviewing your wife. Now we're going to get your side of the story. How did you grow as an entrepreneur? How did you build what you've built in your empire and had some fires in your empire to now with the reality show? I feel like that was a setup loaded question because you brought my wife up before you asked me, which means I have to answer it a certain way. And no, I'm kidding. So listen, people that want to grow things in life and people that want to that create their own map, you have to have a good support mechanism. My wife and my family were my drive. Like I wanted to do everything for them. And when things were hard, when you're putting in 18 hours, 20 hours a day, people are complaining, that's not good business, family life balance. That's all BS and out the window. There's no such thing. It's about moments. It's about memories. It's about making the time with your family count. It's about impacting your children and your wife and 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 going on special vacations where they have those memories. And so I've grinded. She supported me in building different companies, I had successful home security companies. I had a billion dollar solar company that was going public and then I lost it and it cost us $400 million. And so we've been battling that. Now I've built another company that's worth about 25 million. It's a year old. It's a home service company and I'm doing coaching and I'm doing a podcast. And then now we got the reality TV show. See, but you've seen that power. You lose, you end up, you, you win and lose in entrepreneurship. Like I'm about to announce I'm launching three other businesses. Uh, you know, I have, uh, and I guess it's just Neil Haley, the brand right now, but I do, I have a social media management done for you, podcast production done for you, but I'm launching a whole digital agency and many of other businesses. I'm own publishing company, but I'm not to the level you are, Jason, because again, you, you've done is you had the right team on your side. You've had the right wife and the right family that is supports you as an entrepreneur. How important is, and we're going to see this in the reality show, how important is it for an entrepreneur to have support from a significant other that is really behind you through thick and thin? Well, that's very important because, you know, the days that you struggle, and I mean, recently I felt defeated. I've always been one that is just hard grit, hard work, you know, no holds barred, nothing can hold me down. Nobody can take away my energy and my love and passion. Let's go. 
And with losing that company and laying off 2,400 people mm. and my family being abused and, and harassed and death threats and, and, and I'm not hurting for me. I mean, of course I, I feel bad, but I, I don't ever want to pity myself. I'm hurting for them because they're hurting for me. And it, it gives you a drive. And, you know, I didn't come for much. I didn't finish high school. My parents were blue collar, working double jobs. I would help my dad deliver papers at night. I got made fun of in high school for wearing, you know, fake Tommy Hill figures and not having money and a car with no air conditioning, all of those things to where I had this chip on my shoulder that I never wanted to play it safe like my dad. My, play, my dad played it to not lose. I wanted to play to win and an entrepreneurship. And when you're opening a business, the only way you're successful is you play it to win. You have to risk it to make it like too many people want to play it safe. Like I just want to own a business to get a great car. No, you need to own a business because you're going to get paid the least amount of money than everybody else for a while. You want to own a business so you can add a great product and get customers to get, create jobs that eventually the money will come, but you chase success. You chase winning. You don't chase the money. And I've learned 100%. that building multiple businesses, but the problem is Everyone sees the wins. They don't see the losses. And yeah. my loss was all over the news, the media, lawsuits everywhere. So it it crushed my brain to where I was labeled something I wasn't, something out of my control with a product liability law uh, issue on on with Generac. And I'm having to battle back. It's a different dynamic to build a company when you can't be the brand. You have to build the brand and then you have to recover your brand. So I've never done this before. But, you know, Amazon reached out and said, hey, let's do a show while we're doing this and called the comeback. You know, it, it's BAM fan, but it's really about the comeback, right. not the setback. And that's that's kind of where it's at. No, so I'm going to take back and look at you and I, I'm sure we're going to have to have another conversation. I'm right. off air too and different things. But really what I've done is I've built a brand in some ways as, as a professional wrestler, then as a podcaster, putting all the years. And now finally, I'm becoming an entrepreneur. I believe I was not there and now finally and i think it takes 13 to 15 years to really do something and then finally figure it out and get there because you make your mistakes you went into different industries i've been in the marketing industry now i'm saying you know what i don't know how much i'm longer i want to be with ai in the marketing industry i want to take some of that and then build other businesses because i know how to sell i know how to do these certain things i'm telling the story to you in this way but you saw in, in ways the right people you surrounded yourself with in these other businesses to be able to survive and thrive again, right? Yeah, you have to create a team. The problem, the biggest problem with all these entrepreneurs and startup people, and, and it's, you get it because you've been doing other things for so long, but some people, they don't get it. And then they're a know-it-all and they think they got to be great at everything. And that mm -hmm. is false. As an entrepreneur, no. whatever you're great at, stay that. Then find you a teammate that's great at something you're not. And then find another teammate. And the Avengers always get further in business than Superman. Now, if a battle happened outside in the movies, Superman probably wins. But in business, you need the Avengers. You need to surround yourself with people that have attributes that you don't. Like I'm a vision guy. I'm a sales guy. I'm a marketing guy. I'm a motivator. I'm not a guy that counts beans and can do the money. I'm not a guy that wants to sit here and deal with the operations and deal with the guys that are out there installing, you know, production types. Like I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that's going to be nice and empathetic and sympathetic. I'm the guy that's like, look, you either do your job or you don't. And if you don't, we got a problem. Right. So. Every, but you need to surround yourself with people right. that aren't that way because other people need different things right. to elevate and motivate. What I've learned with the origination of AI, and then we're going to go right into the BAM fam then, be, uh, uh, that now you basically have all the tools. You got to hire the right people. 
you and that's what I've done in, in starting to bring a team on board for Media Giant Marketing and then uh, Hollow Man Publishing and all these things I'm going to be announcing very soon as my website's being in that final phase, even though I'm already in the back end. As you all know, we just don't you know, keep things going in the celebrity interviews. We're going to be going into a level that you can't even believe in 2024. Uh, the big celebrities working with the great art seers again, and we're working with just major people. But what I learned in this process is basically that you, you go through this, this, this journey. Do you feel that what kind of took you off in the level as an entrepreneur to get to the energy, the, 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 the solar company, you had another company before that. Was it, did it, was it relationship sales? What did it do to finally say, okay, I've finally hit my first six figures. Now I'm at my seven figures and now it's a different game. Where do you see that as a journey as an entrepreneur? Do you finally get there? Yeah. Well, look, the, the first business I opened was a home security company. I was 24 years old. And I, I always tell people, if you don't have a, you don't have a treasure box, you don't have a war chest of money. Um, you better, you better invest in cash flow is the biggest thing. Yeah. Right. Well, well, I opened a business and cashed out my 401k. It was only 10 grand. That wasn't enough to really do anything. And I had to work another company. I was still working at Verizon Wireless as a business account manager and then going out and running appointments for my home security company until I got to a point that I could leave Verizon and then go and start doing other things. And a lot of people didn't have that benefit I had. Or I sold my first two companies and opened the solar company and threw money at it, didn't get paid for two years. Then it took off and we ended up doing 600 million in revenue in 2021. So those kind of things, they don't happen overnight, but you've got to be able to understand that to open a business with nothing, That's you a- better be, be able to live that way. You have to live humble. And I have three rules. If you're a brand new startup or brand new business, you pay your people first, you pay your vendor second, you reinvest third. People go, you don't get paid. Nope, you don't get paid till the company has got a foundation and is doing that. So you better find a way to survive on very, very little pay because you keep reinvesting. Therefore, then you have the foundation to do that. And that is hard discipline because people get into this and they see a little bit of the money coming to the account. Like, I'm going to go buy this. I'm going to buy that. And they they don't survive. They don't get to grow the right way. They always stay scale because cash flow is the king. And if you don't have investors that are going to pay your cash flow, you basically have to fund it yourself. Then you're really not making money for a while. And that's the right. process. And you continue and you finally put it to that level and, and I'm learning these specific things. But yeah. thank God I put time into my brand for so many years, building it and building relationships and using these relationships with the power of podcasting because podcasting is a gold mine. Radio it's is most a gold mine. The media company is a gold mine because I can introduce anyone I want when I want. Bottom line, I can get in front of people. For example, I just mentioned on another show today, I represent James Harris. It's about to get his book out. I'm not his book to get sell his, his spot, his movie. He's a pro, uh, former NFL player that sold drugs during his whole career and had a drug ring. And now he's putting this into a story and to sell his story. So the these are the types of things, is- but I wouldn't build these relationships if it wasn't for the power of this. I'm, I'm not Adam, even though I was a former professional wrestler. I, that's the power. You got to build as Neil Patel says, you got to build your personal brand first before you build anything else. Nowadays. Listen, now you didn't do it that way. You had money. To build your personal brand now. This is the difference. Meaning, you know what I'm saying? The, yeah, the, yeah. I built the businesses first, and then I was able to build my brain. But I was also on the TV commercials, you know, for our company and doing right. all these things. I was on TV shows. But what I'll say, which exactly what you're saying is so important, people need to know. When you're doing a podcast or you're building relationships, I was such a better entrepreneur from 20. And not that I was a bad one. I mean, I wasn't perfect. You get better as you go. But when COVID hit and I started my first podcast, 
I became such a better entrepreneur because for me, it's therapeutic, but it's, I'm getting coached. I'm yeah. meeting someone from a different walk of life. That's amazing in their own way. And I'm soaking in this information and making a friend and making a connection. And they're hopefully getting something from me. That has been so, you know, important in my growth of life of where I'm at now in my brand, because I learned something from everyone I talked to learned like we talked that, that this is what happens and that's what it's about. So it's key that if you're going to be a leader and you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to run a business, you do got to build your brand. And this is part of it, a podcast, getting right. on podcasts, things like that. Yeah. And so, and, and see the thing that Neil Patel talked about is you got to figure out what your TAM is and then that's it. Your total addressable market for your business and that's it. But you basically have, and what it, the Logan Paul example, Logan Paul basically built a brand in YouTube. He didn't make all his money on YouTube guys. He built, it's got this business Boom, it did billion dollars. There you go. That's Logan Paul. And he's in WWE. He sees the power of brand where it'll, then a product will, you'll get a product service and you run with it. The problem is everyone creates a product and service before they're a brand. So yeah. you did it. You made money in a the business. Then now you're building the personal brand. Now you can build any business. Yeah. That's the difference because you build the brand. So bam, family, boom. Tell me specifically what we're going to see. I Again, whenever your episode airs with Marisa and I was, I was listening the whole interview and maybe asked one question. Now I'm talking to you, but I literally learned, learned from your wife that specifically she went through the turmoil because you're out there building and she yeah. supported you and that's what you need. And then be willing to take the next thing. But BAMFAM is going to take it to the next level. Why? Yeah. So so the BAMFAM starts and, and, and talks about the aftermath. You know, coming out of the ashes of losing a billion dollar company costing us $400 million. It's really a story of of rags to riches, riches to rags, and hopefully back to riches again. And it's the comeback. And it's the story of me doing interviews like this and being on stage and speaking and, and raising capital and building companies and coaching people and going home to chaos and bipolar and you know, all of my kids and my wife, we all have personality disorders. I think everybody does. They hide from it. And we have this whole dynamic and I've got one in college and I've got two grandkids and a single, uh, you know, a daughter who's a single stay at home mom. And what, how does it being an entrepreneur affect the life and me being this big boss, let's run everything out here in the real world. When I get home, I have to check my ego at the door. Cause I don't run anything. They run everything. And so that dynamic kicks in with a little, you're lucky to have your wife that's willing to do it. Cause yeah, that's well, the thing. Cause you, you will put, that's the missing component for every successful entrepreneur is someone by themselves. That's my belief. I, I agree. And you need to have somebody that, that if you're going to run everything in, at, in, in business, you need to go home and have somebody else run that household. Well, and the, it's good. It's good for your soul to not be the boss all the time. No, you got to like, I want to go home and you tell me what to do. Cause I, I tell everybody else what to do. I want to be told what to do. Exactly. When I it's it's a great and concept. so and that and so in that process and I share my show on here and, and I'm sure everyone goes back to my YouTube channel listens to all these different interviews I do because I've done in 15 years it'll be this is my 15th year starting Congrats. now in this industry and I've done over 20,000 interviews so I have interviewed everyone wow. from anybody but I've learned so much from so many people but the point I'm making in this is that I didn't have the right support system got through a divorce. Now I'm on the next level and I'm hitting the next train reunited to my kids story. Amazing. That's going to be a book at one point in time. I have all this dream, but I already see the power of brand. And this is what everyone needs to do is you start a business and you're not, you don't have capital. You don't have to go out and sell. You better start a personal brand while doing that at the same time, but don't start a business unless you know, it's going to work and see you figured all this out through your process because you're great in sales and so many people are lacking sales. That's why they got to get coaching from you. The bam, fam, 
that's got to be huge uh working people check it out and all that stuff yeah i've got uh, i've got one of the water things so a, a fan of ours created swag we got all of a sudden pillows uh uh hoodies i don't know if amazon said i don't know we got these water things but we're super excited the show comes out sometime in january uh you know it'll be on amazon prime and it's a good look into what real life is it's real it's raw it's emotional it's real arguments real life problems real business building you're going to learn how what it's like to be building a business or losing a business struggling relationships podcasts building a brand you know all the struggles people go with with their kids and their family and their wife and the ups and downs and you know we're excited about it i think and each one of my kids has has their own real personality that that i think can tie into people where they can relate to it and we're very relatable um and you know what it's like to to go from nothing to have everything to back to nothing and starting to build again and the mission of that and having the the viewers be a part of that going wow that's how they can do it and hopefully some of them get excited and can better their lives the same way all right so tell me also your podcast tell us about the podcast so uh, I, I have a podcast called jason waller unleashed uh it's a top 10 podcast right now in society and culture uh, it's, we talk about business. We talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about aliens. I got an alien here. We talk about politics. It's unleashed. We take the gloves off. I had a buddy of mine from Pakistan here and we debated the conflict in Palestine. And oh, wow. so I'm, I took the gloves off now that I'm not going to run a, a public traded company. I don't have to hide from anything. So I, I, I defy and fight with cancel culture. And that's what the show's about. We talk about everything. We unleash it. And I still talk about business. My episode just dropped today. Always be closing. I'm telling people how to scale their business, how to do digital marketing, how to build a bench strength for their business, how to do a call to action. Right. But on the same token, I could be talking about aliens because I'm bipolar and I talk about all the things mixed in. So I try to say if, if I'm friends with Andy Frisella. I don't know Joe Rogan. But if those two had a podcast combined, it's kind of where my show fits in. I, I, no doubt. Uh, congrats on the success, and I appreciate Jason for you stopping by. Thank you so much. All right, that special summon that was the Neil Haley Show, guys. Take care, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Western Author Spotlight Podcast with our host Frank Fiore. Frank, how are you? And Doing I know you're excited about our Doing guests. Great. And we're ready to saddle up with uh, Jack Bonham, best-selling. Uh, hey, how you doing? Good. You're not living in Brooklyn now. Nope, I ain't. <laughs> Where is that background there? My, my background? Yeah. That's my office. I know, but outside. Oh, outside. We, we live in uh, Prescott, Arizona, up in the mountains. Oh, nice. Yeah. Jack, where, are you from? Where, where, where do you live, Jack? You said, you said you're located in? Montana, the Bitterroot Valley. Okay. Okay. It's the uh, it's the valley that uh, Costner made famous calling it Paradise Valley. Oh, wow. My wife and I were in the first three episodes, or at least we were acting in the first three episodes, but everything ended up on the cutting room floor, except uh, for a second and a half where I walked behind Jamie after he finds out his brother's dead. But, All right, you know. so, so let's talk about why a Western author. Was that your passion to do that? Well, let me put it this way. I have a picture of myself leaning against my father's 1956 Buick Roadmaster, and I've got a cowboy hat on and boots and, and pants, of course. But uh, I, and that was five years old, so I always wanted to be a cowboy. 
See, I find that fascinating and always wanted to be a cowboy, but we all grew up playing cowboys and Indians. I don't think that's a good thing to do anymore, but we all grew up, at least all of us on this call have. I don't think my kids will ever say they play cowboys and Indians because uh, that would be politically incorrect at this point yeah, in time. But, but too bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but we, I had the little figures. I had the army figures, but I also had the cowboys and Indians figures. So what do you define as a cowboy? And I'll let Frank have a next uh, question. Like, what do you define? What does a cowboy look like? I worked as a former professional wrestler and did a cowboy gimmick at the end. Giant Butch Bronson had the cowboy hat. I should pull it out, Frank, for the next interview. Uh, I had the uh, chaps. I had the jacket. And I went out in the ring in Germany and wrestled because in Germany, they love cowboys. And I would go and work as giant Butch Bronson. Hey, you know what, Germany, I'm coming back to the ring. So if you want to pay me to come out as giant Butch Bronson, I'm back and ready to be back in the ring. And I'll put my hat in the saddle. But I wore that next week, Frank. Remind me about that the next time we do our podcast. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that, when I was growing up, we played we play guns. Yeah. <laughs> Dress up as cowboys. And, and then a lot of times we would uh, replay some of the movie, Western movies that we've seen. But anyway, getting back to Jack, uh, what are some of your some of your books, Jack, that you've that you've written, westerns that you've written? Well, my wife and I are are, are the writers. Uh, she's the editor, and uh, we've got about seventy two books out. Seventy two books. Series with twenty six books, and I've just resurrected one of those characters, and uh, we started a seven book series so far. I'm working on the eighth called. Uh, Isaiah and Emmanuel, Texas Ranger Scouts. So they're back in Texas now, away from the Rocky Mountains. And I had a Seth Kincaid uh, 32 book series on uh, Texas Rangers. And Seth's in this new book. I'm trying to get people turned on to his books again. But I've also done, I heard the podcast that uh, you guys did with uh, Nick Whale and the uh, the oh, Western. Yep. And I, I've got a time traveling Western, but it's kind of theologically heavy. I was a pastor, so uh, probably too much stuff got thrown in there that uh, didn't need to be in there, but I, I enjoy it. Who, so who is your best character, your favorite character that you like to write about in, in the books? Who's your hero? Uzziah, Uzziah Ferguson O'Bannon and Emmanuel James Jones, their partners. Uzziah is uh, Irish, obviously. His parents came over from Ireland and settled in the Shenandoah Valley. And Emmanuel James Jones is half Mandan Indian. That's up in the Montana regions and uh, <clears throat> half English. So I, I like those guys because they're kind of like the odd couple, the old TV series. They argue all the time. I mean, to the point of on the ground, rolling around, hitting each other, arguing, you know, but that's the kind of thing I like to write about. How about humor? How do, how do you bring humor into your novel as a relief? Humor is always a part of it. It has to be. Um, my humor might be a little uh, gallows at times uh, because the Western sort of leans in that direction anyway. Hanging, shootings. Uh, Old-timey Western guys were kind of like uh, policemen and EMTs today. They've seen so much violence that they have to joke about it every once in a while because they'd go crazy if they didn't. 
if you had to identify your signature novel um, or, or in series, what would you want to be identified with? Well, to tell you the truth, I'd want to be identified with a over 500 page novel called Ruthless Angels, which is about three women, three sisters in uh, Montana who father and mother get killed by the Indians and uh, they make their way back to, to San Francisco where the father took them from. Uh, and it's three different stories that are interwoven until they get back to San Francisco. I, I've written a sequel to that one while I'm working on that one. But uh, for some reason, uh, I, that novel, I don't know if it's 500 pages or what, but people are uh, not picking it up. So I don't know. Oh, wow. but, but I love that book. I love that book. Well, the writing, you said, uh, writing for women by a man, you find that difficult? Are you kidding me? No. You kidding? No. Have you, woo you wooed a woman, right? Didn't you woo a woman to get her to marry you? And didn't you date? Well, that's, what, that's all it is. You just got to remember that uh, that's where my wife comes in a lot of times. She'll just Absolutely. pick up the laptop and throw it on the bed and say, you're not doing that. You're not going there. I said, okay, okay, I'll back up. So my, my wife is this way. You know, I, said, I want to get a woman's view on this, and then she'll change things that I've done. So it's, it's good to have a wife as an editor. <laughs> oh so, man, more well, that she's one of the two J's. Her name's Judy. I'm Jack. So it's J J J Bonham. Why do you think the Western has uh, has, has has lived so long? that people have had in the Western for all these years. Well, I can tell you, I don't know why it's lived so long, but I can tell you why it's resurgence is happening. It's happening because of what you said about being politically correct. Country is sick of watching everything they say and walking around like they're walking on eggshells. When you go back and you read a Western or when you write a Western, you know, yesterday I killed three or four guys, you know, and it wasn't pretty, but People read about it. It, it. It's a world where frontier justice takes place. And I, I think most people don't see much justice. As a matter of fact, somebody just moved here. I, I help at this bar across the street, Sundays and Mondays, this guy from New York City, he said, you know, in New York City, if you slug a cop, you go to jail for two, two hours and you're out. Yeah. I don't think people want that kind of life. The same way in Chicago, the same way in San Francisco, it's legal to, excuse my French, shite on the street in San Francisco and you, you won't be arrested. Uh, that's wrong. That's just, so I think people like the 19th century and the early 20th century when things were, you know, Archie Bunker, uh, what a great character. And, and the, way, the way that interaction happened, um, Norman Lear was onto something. Unfortunately, people wouldn't watch Archie today. No, they they, pro they wouldn't for sure. And but and I was talking about let's talk about Texas Rangers. Why did you write about the Texas Rangers in one of your in some of your books? Well, I went to school and uh, I had a church in Austin, uh, and the Texas Ranger Museum is in uh, Waco. Waco, there's a lot of things that happened in Waco, but the Texas Ranger Museum in there and is there. And I, I got fascinated by the fact that the Texas Rangers went to the Mexican-American War in 19, 
1847. They were there when Santa Ana was issued, uh, brought across Mexico to his ship to take him to Cuba. And they wanted to kill him, but they didn't. But uh, I, I just find the Rangers, they're the only independent police force sanctioned by a state in this country. I mean, can you name another one? There's, there's no Utah Rangers. There's no, uh, you know, they're pretty interesting. And they dressed in their own clothes. And they were incredible horsemen. Now, when the Civil War broke out, the Texas Rangers was disbanded during that time, correct? And uh, what side no. did they fight? No, no, it's not true. Terry's Rangers went, uh, and one of my characters uh, was in the Civil War with Terry's Rangers. So, you know, they didn't really disband. The, the biggest problem they had was that female governor back in the, early 20s who tried to disband them but but then she needed Frank Hammer to get Bonnie and Clyde you know Bonnie and Clyde weren't politically correct they killed anybody uh, cold-blooded murderers so Frank Hammer set up an ambush and he did to them exactly what they did to other people didn't give him a chance <laughs> nope that's, that's justice as far as I'm concerned so that's how Bonnie and Clyde were killed Jack yeah yeah there's a book called ambush Written, there were seven guys at that ambush, and they agreed that nobody would talk about it until six of them were dead and the seventh one could do whatever he wanted. You should look it up. I can't remember the author's name, but it's called Ambush. And uh, it's way different from any movie you've ever seen about Buddy and Clyde or Frank Hammer. They, Frank didn't come out in front of the car. Frank hid behind trees just like everybody else did. It was entrapment and it was murder, but you know, the public was tired of Bonnie and Clyde killing people. As as a writer, what would you say is the is the cowboy code? The cowboy code? Yeah. Well, you don't you don't talk bad about your friends. You don't talk bad about anybody unless you're willing to back it up. You you treat your animals like you would treat your woman. Uh, I used to have a bunch of horses, and uh, and I rode horses until I broke my back in two places, uh, and didn't even know it uh, until I went for heart surgery, and the heart surgeon said, "You know, your back's broken in two places." I'm like, nah, "I didn't know it. They're compression fractures. It doesn't limit me at all." But the cowboy coat is honesty, and and I heard that 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 thing with Dick Whale. I think you're right. Uh, the, the Christian Western is is a is a great way to go. And since yeah. I'm a pastor, uh, I'm, I might just talk to Nick about that. Having a whole, I, I was mentioning that I mentioned that on the podcast. That's my number one talent's ideation. And I thought Christians, where well, there was a Christian, um, I forget what author did something like involving westerns in certain aspects, or at least that kind of cowboy life. I think at going to the Christian route, there's so much money. So much money to be made. Only movies that are filling up theaters now are Christian movies. Ultimately, Here's the deal. you can do the Christian movie, or the Christian book, and you can also serve God at the same time. Because you're essential. Nobody's getting the gospel anymore. I'm sorry, it's just not out there. Churches are mostly old people. Uh, there's got to be some way. All my novels, I slip something in from the Bible. I always do. Somebody dies, Uzziah's up there at the at the head of the grave reading from the Bible, talking. It's 
it's a part of who we were and i think it's a part of who we are yeah huge following and it's amazing and really we're de definitely seeing a lot with the christian films and uh they're just really doing well in the box office i don't, I don't know about books well but it's uh, western christian that's really getting niche for sure where's the best place we can find information on you jack purchase your books and learn more about you go to amazon books just put in jj bonham and watch them all come up i mean uh that's about it i don't have a i don't have a website i had a website but the guy got mad at me so he erased it <laughs> <Where> <laughs> <I go. laughs>